The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hassman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday, January 27th, 2019. And in this episode, we will look into our crystal ball and try to figure out when Premier Rachel Notley will call Alberta's 2019 provincial general election. We'll take a look at what the party leaders are talking about as we wade through the thick pre-election season. And we'll briefly tackle the issue of Jason Kenney's primary and secondary residence while he served as an MP, which became a bit of a controversy this week. You can read about that at DaveBerta.ca. We'll also dig into the mailbag to answer the questions that our listeners sent in over the past few weeks, and there are a lot of them. But first, let's dig into some candidate nomination news. So we are now less than two months until Alberta's fixed election period begins on March 1st. So we are in the... In the, in the uh, to the writ to quit. We're rounding <laughs> third and we're heading towards home. Yeah, to I, the writ to quit. Yeah, to the, I like that. We should, we should, we're going to keep that. Maybe that'll be the segment. That'll be the name of the segment for the, for the next couple of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so where are we at right now as of this afternoon for, uh, or as of today for the, uh, uh, for the party's nominations? Where are they? The United Conservative Party, uh, which has been nominating, in full tilt nominating for the past year, basically has 79 out of 87 candidates nominated. The Alberta Party has 61 out of 87. Uh, the NDP have 45 out of 87. They've had a real real jump over the past couple of weeks. They've but been that's focusing still, on still nomination. Still not a lot. Still not a lot at all. It, it's, they're, they're officially halfway there. I heard someone on Twitter or saw someone on Twitter reply back uh, to a, a tweet I sent out yesterday saying the, the NDP officially have enough candidates to form a majority government, <laughs> uh, so they're sure. yeah they're 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 nominating candidates. They uh, as I said, forty five nominated. I think they have about twenty or thirty nominations on the go right now. So they'll have a full slate nominated by at some point in March. And just because this is a question that Ryan's often asking, are how many of those do you know are contested nominations? Good question. Uh, actually, from from what I can gather, there are four contested, well, three and possibly four contested nominations uh, that are new on the list uh, as of this week. Um, in Edmonton Meadows, uh, NDP MLA Denise Woolard is being challenged by Chand Gool, who's a, a community advocate um, uh, you're going to say community organizer. Well, no, I don't, I don't know if she's a community organizer. It was the word I was going to use, but I don't know if she's actually a community organizer. Uh, and she's involved in different organizations. Um, interestingly, one of the organizations she is involved in, or at least or was involved in, was the Liberal Party of Canada. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oops. Well, Justin Trudeau and Rachel Notley do work together there, quite a there, bit, as we tend to like pointing out. There, there's, and there's definitely an overlap in terms of, the, of the, uh, the voter pool between the federal liberals and the provincial NDP in uh, in alberta so i'm not too surprised to Which, see that's really interesting because i mean i i'm a partisan opponent of both of those provincial and federal parties but typically even here in alberta maybe especially here in alberta they would not have a lot of overlap but like if you go back to what the ndp was two or three cycles ago mm -hmm. kind of a small um more pure ideological opposition party mm -hmm. they certainly would they would probably detest the federal liberal party almost as much as they would detest the federal conservatives. And 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 that's right, but at that point there would there was a viable 
liberal party, provincial liberal party. If you go back to you know a couple election cycles ago, there was a, there were a lot of kind of moderate and progressive voters that voted liberal provincially because that was oh. the best alternative to the uh, to the the progressive conservatives. And and later the uh, well, I guess later the Wild Rose Party. But at that point, a lot of liberals had abandoned. So you're saying the federal liberals here in Alberta are doing what they always do, which is just seek the path of least resistance towards power while also opposing conservatives. Well, I, 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 I'm not sure how, uh, how fruitful that path to power is. Um, but I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the, it's the road not taken by Jason Kenney, which is the, uh, the road that the both, both the federal liberals and the, uh, and the provincial NDP are, are want, want to take. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, also how do you think the, sorry, how do you think the provincial NDP diehards, the people that were NDPers all along feel about these federal liberals coming along and showing interest in them all of a sudden? Do you, is it an issue? Or do they all just have this like secret, how much do you hate Jason Kenney handshake? And if they pass that test, then all is forgiven. I, I don't think it's a secret handshake. <laughs> <laughs> or a, high, a fist bump? Or at least not one that Dave has been privy yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. They turn the resist fist into like a Jason Kenney resist <laughs> fist uh, bump. I'll, I'll, I'll have to ask around and, and we'll, we'll let you know in our next episode <laughs> what the secret, uh, the secret handshake is. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm not too surprised there, there, is, a, there is an overlap there. Um, looking at other, some of the other contested nominations, uh, Calgary Beddington, which is a North Calgary riding. I can't remember if it's Northeast or Northwest. I think it's one of those ridings that kind of sits in between both. Like it crosses high, the yeah, foot? I think so. Hmm. Um, uh, my, my apologies to, uh, to Calgary Beddington. The riding is currently represented by Alberta party MLA, or I guess it's, it's a new riding. So it's not really represented by, by Alberta party MLA, Karen McPherson, but it's the riding that she's running for reelection in. Uh, so there are two candidates running. Amanda Chapman and Heather Erland are running for the NDP nomination in Calgary-Beddington. And in Grand Prairie, I, as of this morning, I heard that there's going to be a contested nomination for the NDP in Grand Prairie. Really? Uh, yeah, Melissa Byers, who's the executive director of HIV North, is running. And also Todd Russell, who I believe is a firefighter. Uh, and he ran for the NDP in 2015 and did very well for the NDP. I remember there. Yeah, no, they're challenging a, a cabinet minister, right? Or is that the other GP riding? No, this is a uh, this is a different riding. So there's the way that, the way they redo the boundaries. Um, Grand Prairie actually has its own urban riding this time, and this yeah. is the first time I think ever that there's actually been that Grand Prairie has actually had its own urban riding. It used to be split between Grand Prairie Smoky and Grand Prairie Wapiti. Right. Uh, NDP cabinet minister Mark McQuaid Boyd is running in the neighboring. Central Peace, Notley, um, I can't remember. Like the, 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 the former Grand Prairie Smoky riding. Yeah, the what, county of Grand Prairie, yeah, not but the, the city. Yeah, but the county is, then there's also the Grand Prairie Wapiti riding, which is part of the county as well. So I'm not an expert in the NDP or Grand Prairie, but I have to think if given the choice to run in a rural riding or a urban riding, I mean, you look at this too in, in Saskatoon and in Regina, you'd think that the stronger or the senior person would choose to run in the city. Like if they're if they're going to be popular, if the NDP is going to be popular well, anywhere in Grand Prairie, it would be more in the well, city. Well, Marg McQuaid Boyd, she did not she didn't represent one of the Grand Prairie ridings. She represented one of the rural ridings north, the the, uh, the old Dunvegan riding, which was Central Peace Nolly. No, it didn't have any any Grand Prairie. So now, uh, on just to the east of Grand Prairie, Marg McQuaid Boyd, who's currently the Energy Minister, is running against Todd Lewin, who's a UCP MLA and was elected as a Wild Roser in the last election. And he's a really good guy. He uh, has been known to make waffles for the staff. Oh, and wow. And he has presented them with some game meat from hunting trips. Oh, wow. That's good. Yeah, I'm told there was a moose stew literally at the ledge grounds last session for the staff. And uh, he also 
I don't think this is breaking any election laws. Leanne and I had a chance to go down to NASCAR. <laughs> you guys are laughing. Don't worry. Well, you're about to out somebody. Oh, yeah. So we'll see. So Leanne and I, I, went, think the, I think the elections commissioner is listening about this point. <laughs> Leanne and I went to NASCAR a few years ago, which was as remarkable as you would imagine. But his brother was on one of the pit crews. Oh, cool. Todd Lowen's brother. He's like a mechanic with one of the race guys. So cool. he, got, he got us essentially floor passes. So you have to take this tunnel under the track and come out and the cars are going around you. And yeah, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. The the uh, one small thing about it at, on this on this track in the corners, it's a thirty percent incline. So as you're standing there, the cars look practically sideways to you. Yeah, wow. and it's the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, if anyone out there is scoffing about waffles, um, you're <laughs> you're wrong because there was nothing I loved more during campaigns is when. We'd get together and, and a bunch of folks would make the crew breakfast and then we'd go out and work for the day. That yeah. was my favorite thing about campaigns. Yeah. yeah, And not only because breakfast is the best meal of the day. Well, that's it. And and uh, and campaign teams that eat, eat waffles together win elections together. <laughs> Isn't that a saying? <laughs> well, it, it is now. It is now. <laughs> and, you know, during a session, the political staff gets ridden pretty hard. Like they work long hours. They're there early morning to late at night. And so kindness from the MLAs is also you know really appreciated i just pulled up because i was pretty sure that isn't mayor bill given of grand prairie um pretty involved with the alberta party or he was at a time yeah i'm not sure anymore i know he attended uh years ago he attended uh an alberta party convention um but i don't know whether he's involved with the alberta party yeah I wonder. anymore i mean yeah. you would think that if or the NDP, quite frankly, if they were going to recruit a strong candidate, you'd think he would have been tempted to run. Mm-hmm. They've nominated the Alberta Party did nominate a candidate just this think this last week in Grand Prairie. Uh, Grant Berg, who's a local business owner, has been has been nominated. Um, speaking of Grand Prairie, uh, going, moving moving on to the next uh, NDP contested nomination, which is not officially contested as of today, but one of the candidates is going through the vetting process. So in in Edmonton Southwest, uh, John Archer government uh, ministerial press secretary, former CBC reporter, worked in the press gallery before uh, before moving over to the PR side in government, uh, is running for the NDP nomination in this riding. It's currently Edmonton Southwest is made up, of, is, is a larger riding, but it's being divided into two. Thomas Dang was elected there in the last election. He's running in the new Edmonton South riding, which is the neighbor, which is like the east part of the current Edmonton Southwest riding. So they're now even though this riding has the same name, it's being like divvied up into two because it's that huge chunk of Southwest Edmonton that's had like, Growing like crazy. massive growth, like yeah. suburbs popping up everywhere and right. people having babies like crazy. So in Edmonton Southwest, the UCP is running Casey Madu. That's correct. That's right. And then Elizabeth Hughes must be running the other one. Uh, no, she's running in Edmonton White Mud. Uh, Edmonton South is, right. I can't remember who the name of, it's, it's no, it's it's Tunde uh, Abbasen. Yeah, that's who's right. running, and he beat Mike Nickel for the UCP nomination, yeah. which was a bit of an upset. Yeah, because um, Mike Nickel, longtime city councilor, um, resident Grump on council, uh, was considered to be a, obviously well, I think would have been considered a star candidate or at least a, a big name candidate for the UCP in Edmonton. Yeah, and I'm told it wasn't like an ambush. Like both both candidates got huge turnout. Yeah, it wasn't like one of these. Okay, he didn't take it seriously things. It was actually like a pretty good. Okay. Knuckle drag fight. This maybe isn't the place to speculate, or it is. Um, I wonder if that means Mike Nickel, like, is this it for him in politics? Is he? Do you think he'll try to run again for mayor of Edmonton? Oh, I don't know. Boy. I mean, we could, we could, we, we we could dedicate a whole podcast it, talking about speculation. I mean, I it depends. If it depends, wasn't this mayor, de- depends if uh, if Don Iveson is running for re-election. Yeah, like considering I mean, their history, there's a lot of poetic. 
yeah. risk there. Yeah, that would be that would be really interesting because oh. for those of you who don't know, when Don uh, ran in, was it Ward Eight at the time? No, no, it was Ward Five. Ward Five. Yeah, right. yeah. So two thousand seven, he, he ran, and that was when each ward elected two councilors, yep. and uh, the incumbents were Mike Nickel and Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson, who is not on council anymore. Uh, and Don took out Mike Nickel, yep. and I don't think that is something that had, like, I don't know if it had happened before. Uh, no. An upstart taking out an incumbent, or it hadn't happened in a long time. I think it hadn't happened in like twelve years. It's by exceedingly, that point. didn't you once post? It's like an eighty percent, eighty-six percent incumbents win. Yeah, in, plus in, Don in, was how old at the time? Yeah, in municipal politics, like incumbent advantage is huge because it's all about name recognition. Um, so we've, when you look at the, the percentage of incumbents that get reelected, yeah, it's like 80 or 90%. It's, it's quite significant. Well, he, so he, sorry, I'm just thinking, I was doing the math in my head. He wasn't even in his thirties yet. Don wasn't in his thirties yet. Here's a question for the two of you. And I think we'll probably have to punt this to the next episode. What percentage probability do you give that Mayor Iverson runs again this time? Is it a hundred percent? That he'll run again? Mm-hmm. Like for reelection in 2021? Yeah. I think at this point it's a it's a fifty fifty chance that'll fifty fifty. We should tweet that out. Somebody, <laughs> somebody live tweet that. I mean, that's a if if if, if you're serious. No, that's I mean, a huge I story. I don't know, and I you know, d- full disclosure, Don and I are, are friends. We haven't really talked about this. You know, d- like any politician who says they're not going to run again, I never believe them. So I don't <laughs> actually know what's going to happen. What about Don Iveson, leader of the Liberal Party of Canada, when the current guy loses in October? That, <laughs> oh, to I me, do, I do you know, not you know, accept the premise of the question. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good I, way. I'm but, not the first know, ones to come up with this. Y- you know, I mean, I constantly hear rumors. I mean, for years, it's like, you know, rumors have been going around. Don Iveson's going to run for the federal liberals in Edmonton, Strathcona. I think for the past two elections, federal elections, I've heard that. Um, I've also I, heard it. I, but. I think he came out and actually said, like, after was it last year earlier this year late last year he actually said like no i'm actually not going to run for the in, in this next federal election right. uh, in this next federal yeah, election well yeah so, <laughs> so i don't know let's I, game I, this out. Let's I have game no this insight out. whether he's going to run for re-election in in, uh, in 2021 but there you know municipal terms are now four years yeah it'll you know it's not like a three-year term where two terms is six years and you can say well maybe i'll do a third term and it'll be nine years two terms is eight years and that's a huge chunk of someone's yeah. life and it's huge politicians and also have shelf lives which is the other yeah. thing is you don't want to stay you know don's popular now but you know you really don't want to stay past your best before date for sure because once you get into your third term as mayor there's really nowhere to go but down i think or fourth term mm-hmm. certainly well okay so if randy boston loses his seat regardless of what happens in the national picture there'll be an opening in I, edmonton center i've always thought edmonton center is the better fit than strathcona i mean strathcona is just so entrenched like the liberals I can't remember the last time they won that seat. It might have been when, um, what's his name, crossed the floor. They, the, 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 the federal liberals won in Edmonton, Strathcona, I believe, in 1968. So I, think it, I think it was Hugh Harries who won. Man had, humanity had yet to walk on the moon the yeah. last time. <laughs> the Maple Leafs were the Stanley Cup champions. So, but you look at center. Um, the demographics are moving, you know, are moving towards the liberals in that riding. Mm-hmm. And um, if Randy Boston loses, like, I don't think he would challenge Randy, but boy, oh boy, the Liberal Party is going to come Yeah, hard. Randy Boston was already nominated as the candidate in Edmonton Center. Yeah, but he would be, I mean, Don Iveson would be an immediate national star for that party, which mm-hmm. whether they win or lose in 19, by 2023, they're going to be looking for new blood for sure. So 50-50. Dave, you haven't answered your, this question. I, I have no insight, though. Uh, I don't, you know, I like the idea of Prime Minister Don Iveson, so 
Sounds good. Well, just just so you have a direct line into the PMO. <laughs> <laughs> we the Liberal Party of Canada could do a lot worse. I'll I'll agree to you on that. Uh, I want to talk before we move on about some of the candidates who are not uh, running in this next election. There were a few big names that we heard over the past few weeks. One of them, um, when I heard, I immediately texted Ryan <laughs> when, and I was like, how do you feel about this? And that was uh, Sandra Jansen has decided not to run again. And I can only speculate as to all the reasons why, but, you know, whether whether by design accidentally or you know she's a she's a masochist she's been a lightning rod for criticism <laughs> online and i i that takes its toll mm-hmm. so i imagine that has to be part of her decision my hope is that she um convinces her brother to revive chicks dig it and she manages them <laughs> and, I, and i'll help i don't know them. what you're referring to. K, kj jansen sandra jansen's brother yeah. is the lead singer of the punk band chicks dig it so do you have any insight or do you have any theory into why like sandra jansen's not going to run again I think when you look at politicians, sort of like athletes, the people who know who's truly valuable, who's truly a teammate, a contributor, are their teammates. You know, that's why I think hockey players love that award that's awarded by other players. I think if you look at Sandra Jensen, it's very telling. Not only her, there's a few in this cycle. Pay attention to how many MLAs or colleagues are saying nice things or are defending them, or are coming out and saying, you know what, they're a good person, they're, I'm gonna miss them. And I would suggest to you that with Sandra, there's not a lot of that. Mm-hmm. She obviously is a lightning rod, um, but I would say more than half of that is by design. She is not the kind of person I think I've ever, actually there is one guy, <laughs> a friend of mine, Thomas Oakley. He really likes her. He says, you know what, she's good to me, we're friends. And I, I respect that, but I think in my entire political universe he might be the only one i've ever heard defending her mm. and i know that the the left says well all these all these ecp frat boys picked on her and stuff and i wasn't there i didn't see what happened but i can tell you sandra jensen is as much of a fighter as anybody else and you know i have <laughs> a bit of a personal story with her because she picked on you know and i make jokes because my dad is an electrician and she made this awful comment about electricians but even deeper than just the personal connection for me was this idea that like you would you would be so transparently nasty yet the the left left of center not just the hard left but everybody left of center holds her up as this like poor woman victim and that's not her she's not a victim so um look at all the NDP MLAs wishing her well and i think that tells you what they think of her yeah fair enough now, who else? Uh, there were a few others I thought that we that didn't either didn't get their nominations or decided not to run again. Yeah, in in total, there are as as of today, there are nine NDP MLAs who are not running for re-election. Um, on the same day that uh, Sandra Jansen announced, uh, Estefania Cortez Vargas announced that she was not going to run for re-election in the Strathcona Sherwood Park riding. Um, I guess not. I mean, it was a surprise. I didn't really know whether she was going to run for re-election in that riding or not. It'll. I mean, it's definitely going to be a tough riding for the NDP in the next election. Yeah. Um, the, uh, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, she's endorsed. Uh, she has endorsed uh, a candidate who is running for the NDP nomination, who I'm going to pull up right now. Moira Vane, who's a she's a crown prosecutor and uh, and a lawyer. Um, so she's endorsed. She's running for the NDP nomination, which is scheduled for February 24th. And this uh, is the riding with Jordan Walker. Uh, no, this is the riding that Nate, Gl- Nate, Nate Glubish. Glubish is running in. This is the the 
Sherwood Park and then Strathcona County. So, so, so there's, there's there's a Strathcona or there's a right. Sherwood Park seat, which is like basically all the urban, like a lot of the urban part. And then there's yeah. like a chunk of the urban part and then Strathcona County. So like out to Ardrossan and Uncas and that area yeah. out there. So um, I think I mentioned this before, but I'm personal friends with Nate. Actually, our dads grew up together and we share cousins. So I'm not related to Nate, but we are both related to the same people. Okay. So, so you're like cousins-in-law, eighth removed, eight, eight, eight times yeah. removed or something like that? Yeah, that's so... Like, um, <laughs> you're, you're basically brothers? That's like. so, I, <laughs> so I am biased, but I have to say Nate is a very, very strong candidate, and he worked super hard. He ended up getting acclaimed, but I'm telling you it wasn't because no one else was interested in that seat. Because that seat, you could probably count on it going UCP. So he worked very hard to win it, and he sold a ton of memberships, and he's going to be a really strong MLA. He's got a financial background. He works for a company that does uh, acquisitions and purchases companies, and his wife is a teacher in Sherwood Park. So And, and he's also backed by the local member of parliament, Garnet G- Garnet Gen- Genus. It's not, it's not genius. It's it's the the U and the I are mixed are, are switched. Genus. Yeah. Uh, Garnet. Some people say Garnet. 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 Yeah. Sorry, Garnet Genus. 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 Okay. Now Garnet you're ma- Genus. You're, you're making it weird, Dave. Who, <laughs> who has been very active in a lot of UCP nominations across the province, endorsing candidates and uh, everywhere, basically. I mean, there were a number of MPs who've been involved in nominations, but but uh, him in particular. Uh, has has been in, or he in particular, pardon me, has been involved in a lot endorsing UCP candidates, and and I think actually has a pretty good track record of endorsing candidates who are winning. So I was going to say, I yeah. think most of them have won because yeah. Jordan Walker was another one. Yeah, insured Park defeating Len Tom. Yeah, and there's uh, there's about a dozen or so. I think I, I yeah. have a list. I have a list somewhere. I will I will say to you all to underestimate Garnet at your peril. Peril, you know he is a brilliant person. You obviously former not Wild a, Rose Party candidate. Yep. Uh, we worked at PMO at the same time together um, 12 years ago because we're getting old. So, <laughs> like, obviously, he's not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, and I'm sure you're about to tell me some of the things that he believes that you don't. But he's a very, very hardworking person. And he's very smart. And he does not give up ever. Well, we, we can focus a little more on Garnet closer to the federal election because I, I do have some things to say, but they don't really <laughs> fit in with this segment. Uh, I just wanted to say in Strathcona Sherwood Park, the, another candidate who's nominated... Uh, for another party is actually the former MLA, Dave Quest, who was the PCMLA right. for two or three terms in this riding up until the 2015 election. And he got beat by Estefania. He got beat by Estefania. Estef- Estefania. In the wave. Estefania. Yes. Okay. And, and in, he, in the orange wave. In the orange wave. And now he's running for the Alberta party. Yeah, he... And it wasn't automatic. Like, he was involved with the PC mm-hmm. leadership race. Yeah, he endorsed... I believe he endorsed Richard Starkey, Starkey in the... And in Con. the Con. Or yeah, no... No, I no, think he yes, endorsed Starkey. Richard Starkey in the in the... The 2017 Progressive Conservative nomination, or Progressive Conservative leadership race that yeah. Jason Kenney won, the first of the three, or the two no, two leadership races. Leadership, unity. That's right, yeah. The, the winning, winning, winning. You didn't put in the sound <laughs> clip last week, by the way. Which one? All I do is win. Oh, yeah. Well, I was worried about, you know, rights and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens this spring, Ryan. <laughs> I, s- <laughs> yeah, I don't want right. to get I don't want us what to get sued, wrong? sued by wrong? DJ Khaled. <laughs> so, David, it's interesting that the NDP have lost a few incumbents by saying that they're not going to run and the UCP as well. Um, but you posted something the other day actually showing that this is actually pretty much typical for any election cycle. Yeah. Yeah, it's not more than normal. The rats aren't the rats aren't jumping off the sinking ship or anything like that. No, it's it's actually I think there are right now about nineteen or twenty MLAs who've announced. I think it's nineteen MLAs who've announced they're not going to run for re-election this year, and that's 
incredibly average. I think in 2015, there were 19, or I actually know in 2015, there were 19 MLAs who didn't run for re-election. In 2012, there were 23 MLAs who didn't run for re-election. And in 2008, there were 20. So we're, we're like total average so at this point. Was 2015 an outlier though, in terms of in- incumbents losing? Like my, my guess is it would have been. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it was a huge turnover. I think in terms of the new I don't have the numbers of incumbents who lost, though there were a heck of a lot of them who were defeated. But <laughs> the PC caucus, the, most of the PC caucus. Um, uh, but the the number of well, the number of PC MLAs who did not run for re-election in 2015, I think there were 14, and that's out of the total 19 MLAs who didn't run for re-election. So it was a huge turnover in terms of MLAs who didn't run for re-election, and then a huge turnover in terms of MLAs who were defeated. I think there were like. 75 new MLAs, like rookie MLAs, elected yeah. in 2015. So it was a massive turnover of the entire legislature on both sides, right? And that's yeah. both on the Wild Rose side and the and the NDP side in terms of new candidates. Um, so that's Wild, not Wild, that Wild Rose had 22 MLAs in like three incumbents. 20, or 21, and then they won a by-election. I think is what. But we on, only it was Strankman, um, Drew Barnes, uh, Pat Steer. Pat Steer. I think those were the three who the three. Because there were five Wild Rose MLAs who didn't cross the floor in 2014. There was yep. the three you met, the three you mentioned, plus Heather Forsyth and Shane Saskia. Right, and they didn't and run. they didn't run. So there's the three. Uh, and as of as of well as of today, I mean, as as of going into the 2019 election, only one of the original Wild Rose MLAs who were elected in 2012 uh, is nominated as a UCP candidate running wow. in 2019. That's Drew Barnes from Cypress Medicine. Yeah. He's the last one left. The so, last one left standing. So Pat Steer has, has not run again. He's retiring. Yeah. Strankman lost his nomination and now he's standing on principle to run for the in- independence after well, we, losing his nomination. Well, we don't know whether he's running for re-election. I don't think he's announced. He's announced he's leaving the UCP. He's announced he's left the UCP caucus, but I don't know if he's actually announced he's running for re-election what? as an independent or for the Freedom Conservative Party or or, or <laughs> yeah, one of those fringe whatever. one of those fringe parties. One of the fascinating things to that, you know, I guess if I lifted the curtain up a little bit, is you would think he would run for the Freedom Conservative Party. It seems like they're a good fit. But those two, Derek and Rick, probably hate each other more than they hate Jason Kenney. Oh. So even within the layers of freedom conservatives versus mainstream conservatives, it's complicated. Um, it's kind of like how the Marxist-Leninist and the um, what's the other one and the actual Communist Party. Just oh, the, yeah, mark. the Communist Party of Canada and the Communist Party of Canada, Marxist-Leninist. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like if we fought this. I long, did a little bracket. Yeah. brackets uh, <laughs> sign with my hand there. As the stakes get lower, the nastiness gets higher, or something like that. I'm you'll sure. never. Well, you'll what, never. One, one of them doesn't tolerate left deviationists. That, I don't know which <laughs> one's which. I I I I, I went for. I, years ago, I got an email, and I went for because he was in town, and he, and he wanted to meet political people, and and I think an associate of mine uh, connected us. But I actually went for coffee with the leader of the Communist Party of Canada. Was it Anne McGrath? Marxist Leninist. No, it was um he was a, he was a guy from Calgary, uh, or not permanently from Calgary, from Toronto. Sorry, he was a guy from Toronto. But the so Lexus he's, Marx. Dave, you're actually describing the plot line from an episode of The West Wing where Donna goes and <laughs> That's visits. right, that's right. <laughs> a leader of the country. Anyway, yeah. he, he was a very nice man, but I had to keep a straight face when he... I had to try hard to keep a straight face when he was going on about left the left deviationists and the... And, you know, he didn't he didn't say anything <laughs> about orders from Moscow, but I, I'm not sure the orders are coming from Moscow very frequently anymore. I had a Communist Party opponent in Did you? 2011. Yeah. Huh. He, a, a formidable one. 
by the, by the sounds of it. He uh, was a social studies teacher for junior high. Cool. Which, no, was not cool. It was appalling. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's like, it's fascinating. It's like a, it's, it's like a, no, like 50 thing you million say. It's like people. There's, there's a communist party candidate running in my writing. But it's, it's not kind of cute, quaint. though. It's like, this is the thing about the communist, like, it's become this funny thing. The com- uh, socialism or even Marxist Leninism is a bit different, but actual communism killed like 50 million people in the 20th century. If there was another, I don't know, uh, like a right wing fascist party, it's not cute. Why is the communist party? Anyway, not to pick on you. Now we're really diverging <laughs> from our yeah. script. What were we talking about? We, we were still talking about uh, nomination news. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Which we're I, I we're think, like half an hour in at I this point. I think we need to move on from okay. The Dave Berta Podcast is brought to you in part by the Edmonton Community Foundation. And if you haven't checked out the Well Endowed Podcast, you are definitely missing out. You need to go to the Well Endowed Podcast on any of your podcatchers and subscribe immediately. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden. And it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make the city of Edmonton a strong and vibrant place to live. And if you don't know so much about the Edmonton Community Foundation, you should know that it helps people create endowment funds. And so think about that connected to the Well Endowed podcast, which tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. And I highly recommend you listen to one of their latest episodes, episode 37, Sharing Knowledge, where they interview an amazing Edmontonian named Hunter Cardinal. And Hunter talks about his new play, Lake of Strangers, that's showing between now and February 2nd, so that's not very much time left, at the Backstage Theater in the ATB Financial Arts Barns. Hunter is a remarkable young creator, and I know his interview on the Well Endowed Podcast is absolutely worth a listen. Check out the Well Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. The Dave Berta Podcast is also made possible in part thanks to the support of ATB Financial. I don't know if you've heard of ATB Financial's Entrepreneur Centers, but if you're starting to build a business, those Entrepreneur Centers are a great resource. They can help with banking and set you up with a mentor, and there are also opportunities for networking and workshops to help make local connections within the community. It's just another way ATB will always be more than a bank. You can visit ATB Entrepreneur Center locations in Edmonton, Calgary, Lethbridge, and now even in Grand Prairie. To find out more, visit atbentrepreneurcenter.com. That's atbentrepreneurcenter.com. So Dave, um, I had predicted on, I think, two, two episodes ago, an early call. I think I figured the election day would be... March 11th. I even think I even put money down actually in a pool somewhere. Ooh, I don't, I don't, not with us though, right? I, I feel like I'd remember that. Yeah, not with you guys, okay. I don't think. I don't think I was right though. I think it's looking like that will not be the case. So why don't you take us through what you've worked out for has to happen between then and now? Sure. Okay. So Alberta's fixed election period, first of all, so Alberta has a fixed election period that says a provincial general election must be held between March 1st and May 31st every four years. Alberta is one of the only provinces to have a open window period like that. Most provinces that have fixed election dates actually have like a fixed election date. And it's like it'll be held on, you know, the third October, the third Monday of October. Federally. Every, federally, yeah. Of, of every, we know the every date, four right? years. Yeah, exactly. October 21st, 2019. That's right. Yeah. So we know when the federal election is going to be. And some provinces have, um, 
uh, alternative dates that if there's a federal election happening at when when their fixed election date is, they can call it the next spring if it's or, or vice versa, something like that. In case so, there's not like a provincial and federal election going on at the same time. In Alberta, it's this fixed election period. But looking ahead to the spring, there are a number of uh, a number of dates that might play into and might give us an idea of when the uh, when Premier Notley decides to pull the plug and call the next provincial election. So keep in mind the the fixed election period, March first to May thirty first. The election period, which is like the length an election has to be between when the day it's called, and or I think which is actually the f- first full day after it's called and election day is twenty eight days long. So that, no more, no less. No, it's twenty eight days. Okay, that's Alberta's fixed election. That's 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 the length of an election period according to the Elections Thank Act. Thank God. Um, so no 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 like seventy day election period like we've had on the federal on the federal level, which is insane and and must oh. just kill candidates and volunteers. The um, last one, the twenty fifteen one was long. Yeah, that was, was really long. It was like two months or something. Well, like two thousand six was like fifty six days, and it went over the Christmas. Oh, break. that's right. It's in December. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, and it must be the election in Alberta must be held on a Monday unless the 28th day is a holiday or unless the Monday of that week is a holiday, then it can be held on a Tuesday. So the earliest it can be held according to the fixed election period, uh, the first Monday in the period is March 4th, Monday, March 4th, and the latest Monday is May 27th. So when would the government have to drop the writ to go on March the 4th? 28 days before. So, so. what's that? Is that like the 11th of February or... Now there am I proving the math is difficult? Seven, fourteen, twenty one, twenty eight. February fourth. February fourth, okay. So I, I think that's it seems like that's unlikely, and I'm gonna go through a couple dates and tell you why I think that's unlikely. Um that it would be called that early. So from what I understand, uh on February fifth, the NDP have scheduled a provincial council meeting, which is like a meeting of their presidents. And that's the last one. I think that's the last one that's scheduled before the next provincial election. So it's un- I think that they, they have that scheduled. If they're going to hold that meeting, they probably don't want to hold it within an election period. February 8th is the deadline for expression of interest for a new oil refinery project. And that's one of Premier Notley's big things she announced in February. We talked about it in the last podcast. Uh, this is going to play into, this is a very much a pre-election announcement. It's going to play into the NDP's election, uh, election campaign, election platform. Um, they're going to they're not going to call an election before this because this is they want this to be part of part of their campaign february i'm thinking just this might not actually factor into the ndp's decision but it's something that's on on the political horizon february 15th to 17th the ucp is holding a big election readiness conference in edmonton uh february 22nd and this one's interesting the national energy energy board has been given a deadline of february 22nd to release details of its reconsideration process and report on the trans mountain pipeline expansion and this has to do with the federal court of appeal uh um ruling last year that that said the neb needs to redo or reconsider how it uh its environmental assessment around the impact on marine shipping so does that mean the neb might come out and say everything's good, start building a pipeline, or, or do they announce something different? That I think day? this is they're announcing the process of, of how they're going to... So that's a huge variable yeah. in the political landscape. Yeah, so the, so that's something that's on the horizon. And then February 28th, and I think we've mentioned this in a previous episode, is the deadline, the legislated deadline for the government of Alberta to release the fourth quarter fiscal update from last year's budget. And we, as I recall when we talked about this last time, I think we, I believe we all agreed, I, I haven't listened to the episode again, that they would for sure call an election before that day because we felt, I think, speaking for you guys, they didn't want to 
a campaign on a budget or campaign on financial results because they that, just haven't been remarkable. That is what we thought. And that was before she announced that there would be a speech from the throne. Right. Yeah. And I think they've actually officially said that. Yeah. They be. said, yeah, not premier Notley has said that March 18th will be the speech from the throne. And if, so if, if, if they hold the speech from the throne and then call the election right away, the election would be on April 15th, 2019, which is a Monday, I believe. I think that has now so, become my most likely scenario. That's what I think as yeah. Well. Yeah. well. Well, no, she couldn't drop the writ on the day of speech from the throne. Could I, she? Yeah, she could. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I believe that's what Ed Stelmack did in 2008. But it's not a Monday. No, but but it's the. I think the the clock starts on the first the day the next day. So then it wouldn't be exactly 28 days. Well, but the election period will start the next day. I think that's how it works. Is I think generally when the writs dropped, the day the writs dropped is not considered day one of the election. I'm pretty sure that's how it's. Oh, I remember on a campaign once we had a 28 day dispute about what's day one and what's day 28. <laughs> some people wanted to count backwards, and some people <laughs> counted forwards, and you just gave me a flashback. So this is very interesting. I, we I had said a couple episodes ago I think she'll avoid the physical update because it's going to be bad news. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. But one of the upsides, of course, of being the government is that you have the entire civil service at yep. your disposal and they are currently, they must be doing a budget. Budgets are largely produced by the civil service before the political layer gets its, you know, puts yep. its hands on it. So essentially right now the NDP party is having their campaign platform either shaped or influenced or written by the bureaucracy under the guise of it being the budget. So maybe they've decided that they'll do a budget They'll take advantage of having all these resources at hand and they'll table the budget and then campaign on it. And, I, and, and that wouldn't be uncommon for political part for governments in Alberta. Um, I, I did, I looked back at the past, uh, past eight elections over the past 30 years and out of the past eight elections, three of them have been called after justice speech from the throne and five of them have been called after a budget. After a throne speech and a budget. And, and, and it's not like immediately. It's like sometimes it's a couple of weeks after they pass the budget and they debate the budget. Um, uh, and sometimes it's like the next day. I think in 1997, when uh, when Klein was running for re-election, they had a speech from the throne. They tabled the budget the next day and they dropped the writ right away. And that was their election campaign platform was the budget. And Jim Prentice did the same thing, did he, he not? Yeah, I don't. I think he might have waited a few days or something. I don't know if he... Wasn't but he campaigned on a budget. He Absolutely. campaigned on the budget. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And not only a budget... A kind of a tough medicine. A bad news budget. Well, yeah. a budget that alienated everybody, which, right. <laughs> which turned out to be bad electoral it, it might calculation. Actually, might actually go down in history as the as the look in the mirror budget, yeah. in hindsight. Yeah. And of course, you can, you can debate if he was correct, but the politics of it was pretty tough. So I have to think Notley is factoring all that in, and yeah. she's realizing, now this one could very well be another one of those tough medicine budget. But I, I've talked to a few other friends that aren't you guys, because I do have a few of those. Oh, really? And there was some... <laughs> I know you're surprised, Dave. <laughs> not as handsome. No, I'm not as surprised. You, Adam has a lot of friends. But a lot... You know, it was pointed out to me that you can kind of make a budget... Or sorry, you can message a budget just about any way you want, no matter what's in it. And I think that's a really cynical way to think about it, but that's it's very probable that that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they I, I guess the question is, will the NDP, if they do, if they do campaign on a budget, are they going to release one that is reasonable no. and, and realistic? <laughs> Sorry. And, and Ryan has already concluded that they won't. And I guess, I guess what they, what Ryan's thinking they'll do is they'll have a plan to tackle the deficit. It'll be over the top ambitious and not, nigh on impossible. Probably. Well, well right now, I mean, when you look at the, f- 
fiscal kind of the the say fiscal plans because I'm, I'm not sure that in, from the opposition parties it's really that detailed but from what the, the opposition parties have said and what the government has said um the ndp plan to quote-unquote balance the budget um is i think of the, the their, their target is like a year off from where the ucp would be and that's like that's so it's not like it's not like the two parties in terms of timelines have a drastically drastic difference in terms of when they plan to balance the budget how they go about balancing the budget is likely where you would find the which, which is where you can find the big difference. That's where the big policy differences are going to be. Well, and we're going to get into those policy differences in just a moment. But it's sounding like you're saying, uh, mon- was it Monday, April fifteenth? Was that what you said? Or 18th? yeah, April fifteenth. If they if they call if they drop the writ right after the throne speech, then it'll be um, April fifteenth. And Ryan, you're you're feeling like it's probably going to be that date as well. I, I think so because I think that the legislative agenda has kind of run out of steam. And it's not like they have any big issues to run on. I mean, I'm sure it's more fun being a cabinet minister than it is being a candidate. So some of them <laughs> won't want to, they'll say, what's the rush? Also, the the UCP calls on them to drop the election every single day, every single opportunity. And that has to start to grate on some of them that they look in their writings like they're afraid to go or whatever. Like it's all mind games, right? Yeah, yeah. The only thing I was going to say is, Adam, actually, I actually slightly disagree. And I we've talked about this before. If I was them, I would, and I'm not, I would run an abashed, unabashed NDP platform. A non-centrist platform, basically? I, uh, so first of all, Justin Trudeau in 2015 killed the political consensus around deficit. Someone convinced Tom Mulcair to pretend to run a balanced <laughs> That was the, the worst move ever. <laughs> yeah, and I bet you if you were a fly on the wall in that room, he's like, guys, we're the NDP. No one's going to hold us to that. But they're like, you have to. There's a consensus. And then Trudeau was like, meh, whatever. Um, so my point is, I actually think if I was the NDP here, I would have a plan. Like, you can't say there's no plan. What did the Fed say, like, in 2040 or something? But mostly, I would make it about tangible benefits. Mm -hmm. Back to that classic thing. Like, we are going to build schools in Windermere, schools in St. Albert, schools in Sherwood Park, and give every single candidate a list of infrastructure, of nurses hired, of teachers hired, all the the goodies to go take to the doors and say, like, okay, we're not going to balance it for eight more years, but you have a mortgage, don't you? We all have mortgages. So... Look what we're going to do and force the UCP to be the accountants, to be Dr. No. I, That's what uh, I would do. Then, then I, I hereby predict that we are going to hear the phrase mortgaging our future an awful lot this election period. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're right that they have a plan to get back to deficit. and Back, and I, back, back to back, deficit. Sorry, back to balance. <laughs> and we're going to talk about this later, but you know, it is going to be an interesting contrast between the platforms and how they get there. We said we were going to take a look at what party leaders are talking about as we amble our way towards when this writ drop is going to happen. I mean, it's essentially dropped already. Like oh, we yeah. are in a campaign we're, right now. Sure. We're in campaign mode at this point. But so what are you guys seeing from the, from the NDP leadership, from the UCP leadership? And I guess we'll go to the Alberta party leadership in terms of the big issues that they keep bringing up in this pre-election period. Issues? I mean, it's clear pipelines, the oil sector generally is a theme that the UCP wants to continue to return to. People, jobs in the sector, um, towns who are hurting, these types of things. This is a message that I realize the NDP would tell you they have a strong message on as well. I don't think that's actually true, though. I think if you're in Drayton Valley or you're in Nisku and you're talking about this topic, I think it's a shield issue for the NDP and a sword issue for the UCP. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think, Dave? Well, I think with the NDP, it's a clear... Uh, not. You, we've seen Premier Notley test this message 
promote this message uh, in a number of recent speeches. She spoke at the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce. She's had photo ops and press conferences at the Calgary Cancer Center at a big petrochemical complex out near Fort Saskatchewan. They were at the, I think they were somewhere else in Calgary. She's been doing a lot, a lot of photo ops with hard hats and with, 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 with trades workers standing behind her. Uh, and the message that Notley continues to repeat, and I think we saw this back going back to, and they've kind of been iterations of this message for the past few years, but going back to the NDP convention, I think is when we first started really hearing about it, is Notley's messages, and you hear this again and again, the choice, is for, the choice ahead in Alberta is clear, build and hire with the NDP or cut and fire with Kenny's UCP. And that's the kind of the clear contrast that they, that, that they want to make. And I think that when I mean, what you know what, what Ryan was talking about, I think that this is this is the NDP's opportunity to contrast themselves with the with the UCP. Uh, talk about the the dreaded summer of repeal that Kenny has said that the UCP is going to implement as soon as they get into into office. They're going to be repealing NDP Bill One re- Carbon Tax. Well, the Carbon Tax, and which, which is you know large, I think probably largely unpopular in Alberta, yeah, uh, which which is not 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 hugely surprising uh, that that would be their first that that would be the first one that that they've chosen. But uh, he's talked about repealing basically a whole slew, and he hasn't been totally specific, but basically they've he's gone on and he's changed his message message a bit over the over the past year. Uh, but initially, it was repeal everything the NDP has implemented since 2015, which is just kind of insane considering a lot of the, what the NDP has implemented, especially around stuff like occupational health and safety, uh, um, employment standards has been the kind of, th- have been the kind of changes that has actually af- actually brought Alberta into like the middle of the pack, like just like the standard for the rest of provinces and well, the rest of the provinces in Canada. A lot of the changes that have been made um, in, in that area are changed, are, are were made to pieces of legislation that hadn't been, updated since the 1970s. So so I think that the NDP, uh, it gives them an opportunity to, to to really contrast with the UCP. And I think, I mean, we saw this last week or it was the, the week before the NDP launched rachelnotley.ca, which I'm sure is going to be, they're going to transition into their, I think it is their unofficial campaign website and it will be the official campaign website. Rachel's talked, team. Rachel's team. We've talked about this on, on the pod before. Notley is the NDP's strongest asset. Uh, and she will be front and center. The provincial the NDPs. Campaign. Provincial <laughs> NDPs. Yeah. Well, if we can say Jagmeet Singh is not the federal NDP's strongest ac- asset at the moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or Sven Robinson. I heard him this morning on the talk shows, and he was well to the left of Jagmeet Singh. Oh yeah. Wow. Like he is. The, actually, you should watch the interview on Evan Solomon's show. It was remarkable. That, Evan that, Solomon was gobsmacked. He's that, like, You're, that, that'd be one of the biggest comebacks in Canadian political history. You know, he's been gone 15 years. Yeah. Has it been that long? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So so go, going back going back to Alberta. Um, yeah, RachelNotley.ca, which is I think going to be the going to be the 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 online home of the Subtle. NDP campaign. Yeah, I mean, but she is she is their strongest oh, asset. She was she she made them in 2015. Really, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was it was her who. I mean, I think the Tories met her halfway, but but she ran a fantastic campaign. She you know she led a fantastic campaign in 2015. Yeah, and uh, and she's really been carrying them over the past uh, past three or four years. So I mean, not not too surprising. And we've we've noted before. I think on Twitter we've noted that the NDP of on all basically all their material have dropped the Alberta NDP logo and it's it's Rachel Notley Rachel's team. So you 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 repeated her slogan and this is a classic NDP. This is what NDP says just like there's things conservatives say. But it's funny, um, my wife's mother, so my mother-in-law is a nurse and they're at some conference where the union, I'm afraid of maybe your union, I'm not sure. The nurses union, I'm not sure which one she was referring to was telling them that the UCP plans on firing 20% of frontline staff, which is like, Kenny couldn't be more clear that that's not true. Like, I get that this is what they say, 
but he says no we're making cuts to middle management and to overhead and if anything adding more resources to the front line and i feel like both sides are just going to hit their head against this wall like there are just some fights where both sides it doesn't matter what either side says because people go back to the talking point but, but, but this this has to do with i think this has to do when i went back to, to this, the, the 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 kenny's comments about or his evolving comments about what the summer of repeal is going to look like he did say at one point that he wanted to reduce the budget budget spending by 20 percent but, but to, not to, to well but he but, was always explicit not frontline because but he, we're wanted, not, he, he wanted to do what they did in british columbia initially and then he said uh well we're gonna and then he said oh well actually you know later on he said we're gonna protect frontline workers and we're going to cut out middle management which which which, look, which 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 is i mean anybody who works on the front line of the public sector or healthcare or education can tell you that if you get rid of middle management that just in, basically just increases the workload of the frontline workers because the work has right. some, the work has to get done right? but so, someone once told me the ahs org chart if you print it out like can't be put up on a wall in a board conference room because it's so layered oh i think i i, I think you're referring to a, a pre, like a a couple of years ago when they, had, when they had like 80 yeah. vice presidents i think yeah 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 hs had like more vice presidents than walmart I'll, at one point it i'll was, just was, i very was, badly wanted to be one of those it was it was hilarious I, it would be great lots of money i will just say as the conservative here that if you think we would be crazy enough to make and i guess maybe klein did or didn't but we wouldn't be crazy enough to make heavy cuts to the front line because those are voters people don't know who vice presidents in NHS are but they know if you go to the Sturgeon Hospital if they're short staff like the what he said is through attrition and through changes to management they'll find savings right and I get that the unions are going to push this fear tactic because that gets their vote out too like of course but if anyone ever listened to me and very few, few people would I would say you'd be crazy to, to say we're going to cut frontline staff because those are voters you know yeah. I for a party that venerates Ralph Klein like he's like the patron saint of the conservative, you know, the, 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 you know, you never know that Jason Kenney and Ralph Klein were like mortal enemies when Kenney was actually involved in Alberta politics 20 years ago. Uh, but the way they talk, the way conservatives talk about Ralph Klein, um, I mean, it, it's, it, it's hard to believe that, 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 you, you know, you can talk about how great Klein was and how, what he did was great and, 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 and praise his, praise him and then say, oh yeah, but we're not going to do anything that he, we're not going to do, do the worst that he did. I, you know, that, that's, that, but you could say we've learned from that. I mean, have, the, the, have you learned the from that? cuts in the nineties? I don't think anyone would say were pleasant and just like parties evolve in their positions around deficits. I think the conservative parties of this whole country realized once you're cutting into past skin and tissue into bone, there are actual there is actual damage and it's easier to grow through economic growth or find um, balance the budget through economic growth or to deal with attrition and staff rather than laying people off like i would say we've actually learned our lessons to those i was in junior high and high school at the time yeah, so same, yeah. i don't really remember but i know it was controversial or if you look at the harris government mm -hmm. the harris government went to war with the nurses and the teachers unions and I don't, I don't know who won. Like, it was I, just I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that the, that the UCP is, is, is past that. I think that, 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 that's what, I think that the, there's a lot of people in the UCP. That's what they want. And, and I think that's where truly, not nurses, truly where though. their heart is. I, I think that people have an issue with the ATA and with the nurses union, but your local teacher and your local nurse is pretty hard to oppose. Like I, I, I get that we're cutting a pretty thin line, but even if you talk to Drew Barnes or pick a fire breathing MLA, I don't think they'd be crazy enough to say nurses are the problem. I think they'd tell you a story about. Well, five no, 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 but, but they, 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 they won't say. Any. I mean, you heard this going back to the Wild Rose Party is they'll say, well, we'll protect frontline workers, but we're going to make all these massive cuts. Yeah. 
to but, but, the but, person but, who reports up yeah, to but, up. But, Sir Humphrey can be fired without a lot of uh, repercussions to the front line. It's a Yes Minister reference. But, okay. you I know, <laughs> there's a Yes Minister episode about the most efficient government in the UK, or sorry, hospital in the UK runs perfectly because it has no patience. So, <laughs> anyway, these are the, I mean, this is why we have politics. Yeah. This is what the party's going to talk about. We're going to talk, the, the shield for the UCP would be around this stuff. It's definitely not a sword. Yeah. Like, Healthcare oh, in general, absolutely. we don't want to talk about it. We're losing yeah. if we're talking about it. Just like pipelines in the economy. While some of them would be upset for me to say this, I think it's fundamentally a shield issue for them. They're not winning if they're talking about it. So mm-hmm. what else is left? The economy, healthcare, I guess we have education. Childcare. Yeah. That's, I mean, that'll be another interesting one to see what uh, what happens with. I mean, the NDP have been pushing a, uh, the, you know, their 25-day child, 25-day $25 per day yeah. child care program. Um, I mean, I think I think you'll hear a lot from the NDP about, you know, asking questions about what is the UCP going to be going to do with these programs? Are they are, is this are they going to cut these types of programs? Because and it's funny because I mean, election campaigns, I mean, I think that, you know, the economy is a big issue. Pipelines is a big, are a big issue right now. Uh, these are probably going to be dominant issues during the campaign. But I mean, both you and you and I, Ryan and Adam, we know that elections take a life of their own, that the big issue. <laughs> yeah, on the first, yeah, yeah, exactly. The big issue on the first day of the campaign, you know, a lot of times is rarely the big defining issue on the last day of the campaign. Well, I look, mean, remember the 2012 election, the first week of the 2012 election, in Alberta, we were talking about the no meat committee. Oh, yeah. I, don't even, I don't even remember that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I mean, but, I do but, now. But. but but and then by the end of by you know, but. 3 weeks later we were talking about Lake of Fire. So it's, you know, these things have a life but of their the pipeline, own, right? There is rarely an issue looming like the pipeline debate. Like this does This transcend. is a bit this is a big all, de- all defining issue and and it's something that that uh, I mean polling shows and and you I mean don't you don't even need polling. You just need to talk to people to understand that this is a top issue of mind and the economy obviously. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, will it be will it be the defining issue? I don't know. I guess I guess the the last question I wanted to ask you guys on this issue, considering Rachel Notley and Jason Kenney, how do you think what what ballot question do you think they're going to try to shape? What what are they going to try to make this election about it? Because we talk about this one in election periods all the time. What's what is the question that needs to be answered by each candidate? I think the NDP are, despite having four years as a majority government, are very much running as an opposition party. I would agree with that. I mean, even the th- the stuff you just said, Dave, they've had four years to implement $25 a day child care. They've had, but no one's going to hold them to that. They're going to spend the whole campaign talking about what Kenny's going to do. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating. So I think the ballot question for Rachel Notley comes down to Jason Kenny. And I think Jason Kenny's is going to come down to Justin Trudeau. So yeah, that's, that's that I, I, I agree with you at that point. And, and yeah. Alberta's role and yeah. treating Alberta fairly and tapping into this dissatisfaction with the rest of the country. If the if the NEB report comes back and it's troublesome, that only helps. The plus, plus, if if Jason Kenny can successfully drag the federal liberals into this election, I think that's a win for him. Mm-hmm. I don't think I think Albertans will just be like, get the mm-hmm. fuck out of our provincial election. Yeah, well. I would be fascinating to see what like the premier's office and the PMO are talking about right now because they're hardly friendly, but they kind of need each other too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the Jagmeet Singh thing, but Trudeau doesn't have a lot of Western allies. So if you're Trudeau, you don't want Notley to go ape on you either. So it's very delicate. It'd be fascinating to see, like to be a fly on the wall for some of those calls. I, I think I think the federal liberals have, um, I think they've moved on from 
really believing that the NDP are going to get reelected in Alberta. <laughs> I think. I think. No. No. I mean, seriously. No. I think you're I, right. I think they. I think. I think at this point, it's and we saw this with. We'll talk about this in just a minute. But the whole Kez, Kenny primary residence thing. I think that they're going after Kenny now because, right. in, you know, Kenny is there is going to be their opponent. Yeah. And I mean, that's that can be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean. The, the federal liberals are not going to do well in Alberta in the, in the next no. federal election anyway. It's a bit of a write-off. I mean, with the exception yeah. of one or two seats. Um, but yeah. but And you know what playbook has always worked well for Alberta premiers? Pick on Ottawa. Especially when they're well, led by prime ministers named, named Trudeau. Trudeau. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, the playbook of playing Ottawa against Alberta also works on the other end, in the federal, yeah. federal end as well. well absolutely. So, so having having Kenny as premier of Alberta might actually yeah. help Justin Trudeau. No, I, I agree. Like it's, it's, it's a lot scarier to his base than Notley is. They probably like her more than yeah. more than they don't. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we see the polls that Angus Reid puts out that poll every, every couple months about the popularity yeah. of, of premiers across the country, and Notley's... Yeah. Sometimes and more popular outside of Alberta than she is in Alberta. There was a time when Trudeau was uh, Jason Kenney's critic. And so there was not a lot of good blood there personally either. It's been like a decade of festering. Like it's pretty antagonistic. So Yeah, and Kenny spent the past couple of years when he's since he's jumped back into provincial politics attacking Justin Trudeau, making yeah. making this about Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Um so I think I, I agree with your point. I think Notley's gonna try to make this election about Kenny because I think I mean, I think Notley is the is the NDP's strongest asset. I don't believe that Jason Kenney is the UCP's strongest asset. I think he yeah. has, he is you know he's a he's a fierce political organizer. He's a he's not to be underestimated. He's dangerously a, charming. J- dangerously charming, as to I quote, said, to I quote said Dave last Cornley. year. Um, <laughs> he was all but, googly eyed. And yeah, yeah, but. Uh, but uh, 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 he does have his weaknesses. He has his baggage. He, he's he's a career politician. Before we get to that, I know we're going to. The one interesting thing is none of us are predicting that the ballot question has anything to do with Rachel Notley or her legacy or her um, deliverables over the last four years. No, I, I just don't see it. It's too much has happened since that election to now, and the issues are different. But uh, but I'm looking forward to an excellent boxing match between Jason Kenney and Justin Trudeau in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea who would, who would win. I'm I'll, not. I'll always bet on the boxer. <laughs> that moment, I honestly think, helped build Justin Trudeau. I do too. Yeah. yeah. Even if you weren't paying close attention to it. We've talked about this on the show, but that was during the 2012. So explain to people what this was. This is a while back now. Yeah. So Justin Trudeau who challenged too, but it, Patrick Brazo okay. was a senator. Was right? a senator and, you know, muscular. Prominent like, member of the Conservative Party of Canada. Well, he was. Or in, not anymore, right? <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so he was one of the um, indigenous leaders that Stephen Harper appointed to the Senate after the whole coalition. So after the coalition crisis happened and they almost lost government, just. Um, Stephen Harper did appoint uh, several people to the Senate, and one of the people from Quebec was Patrick Brazeau. And he has now since kind of <laughs> had a different type of career. But at the time, he was very prominent, high profile, and he was like a muscular boxer. Yeah. And I don't know who challenged who, but um, Justin Trudeau actually challenged, you know, stood in the ring with Brazo, And everyone was like, Trudeau's going to get his butt kicked. Like, you know, Brazo's like, beefy yeah and it was the 2012 and 2012 provincial election we were watching it the campaign team the wild rose like road team we were all watching it in the restaurant at the coast calgary hotel and losing watching justin trudeau win that boxing match might have been as hard as losing that election was. <laughs> well and, and trudeau was the boxer and brazo was the mma guy right the mixed yeah, martial arts guy that's right. oh okay so that was that's why i said always always bet on the boxer that's right you know they're basically yeah. trained to stand in the ring and get their face pulverized 
Oh, that was depressing. Man, that 2012 election was no fun at all. <laughs> all right, well, let's <laughs> let's move on. All right, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this because I think it's been talked out in the media. It's been Dave posted about it on DaveBerta.ca, but we did have this issue come up uh, where there was questions about Jason Kenney's primary and secondary residences while he served as an MP uh, in the House of Commons. Dave, I think you could summarize <laughs> summarize this issue. Sure. I don't want to get into the details. Okay, uh, Summarize the issue for the listeners, and then we'll talk about... Does this materially impact Jason Kenney's campaign fortunes? Sure. So, so what 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 the issue is with is about where, when Jason Kenney was an elected member of Parliament for South East Calgary, uh, where he declared his primary and where he declared his secondary residences. Now, members of Parliament, they get to declare basically where their primary and secondary residence is. Most MPs, I, from what I understand, will declare their primary residence as being in their riding or the same city in their, as their riding or in the same area as their riding, where, where they live. I yeah. can't think of an example. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, and, and there might be, but I think I think it's pretty common that they would declare that, yeah, their riding where their primary... And then when they do that, they're eligible to collect nine up to $900 a month for kind of a housing allowance for a secondary residence, which would be their 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 house in Ottawa or their condo in Ottawa, right? Because it's 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 reasonable to expect that if we're sending someone from Edmonton or from Calgary to go work in Ottawa for whatever 150 days a year, that they have a place to stay. Whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, some is, some some MPs use a hotel. Some, I was going to say, yeah, or and this is actually the cheaper option. Yeah. It's, it it costs way more than 900 bucks a month to stay in a, in a hotel whenever they're in session. Yeah. So, so yeah, so a lot, so a lot of MPs will have a, have a house or a condo or a house or an apartment. A lot of some MPs, I know some MPs share, they have roommates, they'll share a place with another MP and they're eligible to collect, a, like I said, the $900 a month allowance. The issue with Jason Kenney, uh, I mean, there's the two issues one of them I think is really isn't a big issue because I think it's actually probably pretty common is that he didn't, he's, he's alleged to have not, not visited his primary residence in Calgary very often, I think there was one one news report came out that said he'd visited it four times a year. And he'd taken four flights to Calgary in one year. Um, I I don't think I, I'd be surprised if that was uncommon by uh, from for a lot of senior cabinet ministers. Um, I mean, I may maybe incorrect correct uh, listeners correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, but I, I I don't think it's uncommon for cabinet ministers to spend more time in Ottawa or traveling around the country than actually in their own ridings. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably part of the role. The issue and the issue the issue and the very unusual part of this story is when it was discovered or really revealed and this is, I think this is all part of his public record anyway because Jason Kenney declared this as his, as his primary residence in Calgary that his primary residence while he was a senior cabinet minister for a period of time uh, was the basement of his parents home in a Calgary retirement community which sounds incredibly unusual um, and I mean quite strange that a that a senior cabinet minister would de- would de- would declare that to be their primary residence, and and I, from what I understand, there was an issue of he was having a condo built, and this was kind of a temporary. Yeah, move, it was for but, what twelve but, months or something. Yeah, but 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 the issue was is that you know was this actually his primary residence, and was this act- and then later came out was this actually allowed under the re- retirement community's rules? So, I mean, I I don't think that I mean the issue of of did he visit his primary residence, whether it was in his parents' basement in their home or in the home and retirement community, or if he had his own apartment or condo, I think that's, that's kind of a separate thing. And I don't really think that's as huge of an issue. I think the issue is that for me, 
and I don't even really think this is a huge issue. It's just quite strange that that he declared his his, his 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 primary residence in in the oh. basement of his parents' retirement home. It's not the issue. The only issue that the left <laughs> was trying to get at here at all was nine hundred bucks a month. Well, they, he would, but wanted, no, but but then he was collecting the nine hundred dollars yeah. a month. They so, want so that people was the issue. to think of Mike Duffy. Yeah. To think that yeah. Jason Kenney was benefiting. So. All MPs, certainly all ministers, like when I say all, I mean 100%, maintain a residence in Calgary. The thing that people don't... You mean in their home right? Yeah, so, yeah. that would be awesome. <laughs> they, yeah, all that would be, they all have residence in Calgary, <laughs> the, in, in their parents' retirement home. <laughs> one of the very important details here that I know you understand and you understand, and Kyle Morrow understands, but most people don't, is that we're not talking about him getting money to live in his mom's house. We're talking about him getting the same housing alliance that every MP gets in Ottawa, but that... They have a house in the in the riding as well. So the Board of Internal Economy has like four factors to determine this. But what what I wish I could have asked some of these folks is, you know, are we really getting into living uh, living arrangements in the home riding? Like, would it matter if he had a roommate? Would it matter if he came home ten times a year? Jason Kenney said he was in Ottawa that year, only 140 nights. So I, I, he was I, working like the whole issue was so patently just trying to tar him with this vague sense that he's benefiting from something that's unfair, which like is. And I said this on Twitter. If anyone out there can give me one example of a minister who doesn't have a place in their hometown and also a place in Ottawa, I'd be shocked unless you're from an Ottawa area riding like this is just an example. And the people who are the most loud about it were either doing it. Specifically to tar him, which hey, this is a, this is a politics like all's fair in love and war, or some of the other people jumping onto it, frankly, just didn't understand the context of how this works. That every MP does this. This isn't money to live in Calgary. The nine hundred bucks is for the Ottawa house, regardless of what your accommodations are in your hometown. Well, the the argument would be that. I mean, the argument that is made is that his parents' basement in the retirement community wasn't actually his primary residence. So oh. because of that, he was eligible for the $900 for his secondary but residence in Ottawa. And also, people have this sense that it was one of those condos where, like, the nurses are there. And no, no, it's, this like, was like an independent living, living kind of thing, yeah, right? Yeah, it, it was like, like a, a townhouse, okay. and he yeah. lived in the basement. And then I was But can, very... can't you admit that's very unusual? No. I, that, that a senior cabinet minister would be... Would be li- everyone in this country knows he's single. He's unmarried. If you listen to what he said after... Is that it was actually just his mom at that point. His dad had passed away. His mom was in some financial difficulty. He was building his own place, so he moved in with her. No one's denying. But, but but he didn't really move in with her. That's well, the issue. Right? But when is he that... was in Calgary, that's where he lived. Okay. Like he's been an MP since he was twenty-four. It's not like he had, you know, kids so, in school. I, I just want to say we've already been talking about this for <laughs> seven minutes, and I'm confused. <laughs> And I'm confused. And, and what that means is, it, who cares? This is yeah. inside baseball. Yeah. This was the NDP um, grabbing onto something that, that this, this lawyer fellow, fellow Kyle Morrow, we saw him bring this up quite a bit in social media and it started getting coverage. Yeah. It will not, in my opinion, materially move the needle in one direction or right. another. Has it changed any minds about no, Jason No, it's too complicated. And all it does it, it best case scenario is make people think all politicians are on the take and they're yeah. robbing the people they serve. I agree. It's, it's it, actually bad for politics. It's not good. And it is totally a muddy the water strategy because they're not counting on people understanding the nuance. They're I don't counting think so. on the headline, yeah, it, Jason Kenney, 900 bucks a month. Yeah, it's it's a, I mean, I wrote about, wrote about this on, on DaveBerta.ca this week and it's like, or last week, pardon me, and, and it is a wankish issue. And I think because of that, 
um, because of the details and because it's hard to explain. Um, it, it will, I think it will be lost on most Albertans. Um, I think if the people who do understand it, you're either going to, you know, assume this is some NDP plot to undermine Jason Kenney, or you're just going to assume, I mean, or you're going to assume that Jason Kenney's a uh, politician taking advantage of the system, or you're just going to imagine that he's just another politician on, you know, taking advantage of the but entitlements that he's entitled to. For both sides, it is mission critical to either attack the queen bee or defend the queen bee. Yeah. Right? And, and, like and, sorry. for the UCP, you know, someone, I think it was you asking, well, if there's nothing there, why the reaction? Well, it's clear if you behead the, the queen bee, the whole hive is going down. So well, that's why the opponents, although none of the very few actual politicians jumped on. Yeah. But that's why the that's left, interesting. Well, because yeah. they all do this. Yeah. All, of course. all literally all. Of well, them do. well, and then that's it is if, if the NDP is going to jump on this and, and really go hard on Kenny on this issue, they better make sure that none of their own MLAs, which was or that, MPs are, are in Ottawa, even though there's a split why, between the two parties is doing that. When a Parlsec got into this and now this is where they also went, jumped the shark a little bit and politicized this at the federal level. One of the Parlsecs, who's like a junior minister, has called on an inquiry to take place. I would love to know if she, I think it was she, yeah, yeah it was checked G- with Jennifer her, O'Connell, I think checked with her is, cabinet. Yeah. Because I bet you if there's a single unmarried cabinet minister out there that they, I mean, maybe they're not living in a retirement home, but they, they have probably shared accommodations at home. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is one of those situations where their hatred of Jason Kenney from the federal liberals may have got them out a little ahead of where they... You know, I, 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 you know, this, this is, the, this is the next step in the game. Is I mean, Jason Kenney's hatred of Justin Trudeau has driven the Trudeau Liberals to react to him. I yeah. mean, really, Kenney's been taking swipes at the Trudeau Liberals for for yeah. the past couple of years. Because she's from and, like St. Paul or something, like a Toronto area riding. Yeah. Mm. So, so I mean, they're, they they can see that if Kenny becomes premier, he's going to be a problem for them. So they're, I mean, they're playing the same type of game that Jason Kenney is playing. So it's not. I wasn't really surprised when I heard that the federal liberals were yeah. were were playing. Uh, we're going to go go to go to bat and play ball in this game. I I, I was just going to say I suspect the the thinking in the provincial NDP's minds might have been well, an issue like this helped to displace or remove Derek Fildebrand. And that was different. Like, I have a feeling that mm-hmm. I have a feeling we, that we, some we of, haven't caught Jason Kenny poaching. Well, yet. this is the thing, but like, well, yeah, I know and it was his truck into someone else's. It vehicle. was a series of dominoes for Derek Fildebrand, which started with Airbnb. And I think, I don't know. I just feel like yeah. they were like, Hey, this worked once. Let's try it again. There has to be a grain of truth to it though. And like Derek was just, so absurd with some of this behavior and that's where people have said well jason kenny ran the ctf and wouldn't 2002 jason kenny be appalled at this but yes maybe no i don't probably (laughs) not when you understand that he's a single guy he was going to get the housing allowance no matter what he did in calgary it's not that he got it because he moved in with his mom no matter what his arrangements in calgary were he was getting the mp housing allowance so but i don't i don't begrudge them for going for the the king b because it's a smart politics and if you if you can undermine and discredit a political leader, I mean, nothing's more important than that for the other side. Well, and as, we, as we've seen is, is, and we mentioned this earlier in the pod, is Kenny is, you know, his popular, his party is much more popular than he is. And I think that the, the yeah, NDP sees, sees Kenny. I mean, I think, I don't think he's the strong, the, he's not the, 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 the UCP asset in the same way that Rachel Notley is the, is the biggest asset for the NDP. Well, and you see but, the environment around him now. You've got this Jeff Calloway stuff. Yeah, the Kamikaze campaign. Prob Gill and his stuff. Yeah. And this drives me crazy. I am a supporter of Jason Kenney's and I've known him for 20 years. None of these stories are credible if you look at each of them, but you step back and you start to get a pattern. Yeah. And that's the 
I mean, I don't think yeah. this is a coordination, but I'm sure at each of those kitchen tables, they know that the more of these that come in, yeah. it does start to have a bit of an effect, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe and subconscious. Like, I don't think any voter would tell you, I'm not voting for Jason anymore because he moved in with his mom in the basement. <laughs> but it definitely sets in this level, or maybe we're not there yet. But I mean, it's not about this is any politician. These types of things do add up. And, so. we, and we've seen how volatile the, I mean, the Wild Rose Party leader membership was and the UCP mem- membership can be. But um, Kenny, though, that, that I mean, even if they, I mean, I'm not saying this will cost the UCP the next election because I'm not totally convinced that it's that it's going to be that much. The NDP are hoping that there'll be a, there'll be that narrative that that coalesces around Kenny on this issue, but or on, on these and, and these other little controversies and scandals. But this is the kind of thing that could hurt him afterwards. I mean, if they do form government, mm-hmm. if it, you know the the UCP, unlike 2015, where every pretty much every, with the exception of a handful, pretty much every NDP MLA could had to thank basically recognize they had to thank Rachel Notley for their election. In 2019, I'm not sure how many UCP MLAs are going to have to have how, are actually going to believe that Jason Kenney is the reason they got elected, and that makes them vulnerable after the election. Although no one if, else could if, have brought these two parties together. No, but once they're together in yeah. power, I mean, if he, if he's well, going to if he if 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 these scandals threaten him or threaten the, the UCP, threaten power, yeah. then, uh, I mean, well, everybody's expendable. You know what else is interesting? If he wins a majority, call it 60 seats, which could be a low-end majority, how big is the cabinet going to be? 25, maybe? Mm. Or all, smaller? <laughs> all of a sudden, you've got an awful lot of MLAs who aren't in cabinet. Yeah. And managing that, no matter who you are, is very difficult. Notley got past it because none of them even thought they would be MLA. <laughs> they were like, on paper candidates. Yeah. They were just like, this is great. Yeah. Um, so t- tune in to our, our special cabinet making edition yeah. in uh, in May. I mean, you, this <laughs> is cabinet this making. This old podcast. This old podcast. Yeah. Was it, was it no, Norm? No. Uh, From who, this old house? Who's, who's this old house? Was that? Uh, oh, those two Bostonians, I think. Yeah. What was the guy's I name? I don't remember. Oh, man. Names. We used to watch that show when I was a kid. That was great. <laughs> cabinet making is one of the hardest things that any new government leader has to do and and ryan's referring to both kinds of cabinets i am yeah i'm having some cabinets built over there in my house <laughs> and i can't do it at all that's why it's piles of lumber but anyway this is something for us to talk about post-election absolutely so anyway um adam you said that you don't think this has moved any needle dave yeah. do you think this has uh, i don't think this on its on its own has moved the needle um I mean, I, I guess we'll see whether whether there is a narrative that, that can be created would around Keith, this. Would Keith Guerin say that basically how you feel about this is how you felt about Kenny before you read it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and also this is part of his public record. He's a he's well, a career politician and, he's, and he comes with baggage and, but, and this is the kind of baggage that you yeah. come with. So, that's I mean, it's fair. It's, 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 this is five years ago and the House of Commons approved it. Mm-hmm. But it's not about the details. Nope. It's about no, this general and, and it's also, you know, I mean, the House of Commons approved... House of, House of Commons rules created by the House of Commons for members of the House of Commons. So there's also there's also yeah. that element too, right? What I suspect will happen is those rules. Someone's going to take another look at those rules. I think, probably, yeah. just as a matter of course. And you're, you'll no longer be able to live in your parents' basement in a retirement community. <laughs> That's for bloggers, Dave. Yes. Okay, it's that time of the episode where we dig, we reach deep, sleeve deep into the mailbag, and uh, we've got a lot of questions from listeners. Thank you all so much for sending these in. So we're going to do a lightning round. Lightning round. We're going to make this real fast. I got a buzzer right here. Yeah, Ryan's buzzer is literally a piece of wood. Uh, So our first question comes from Josh Cormier. Josh asks, where do you think will be the battleground ridings in this upcoming provincial election, starting with you, Ryan? The Anthony Hende ring. I think anything that doesn't touch Anthony Hende is pretty much set in stone. I mean, obviously things can change, but interior Edmonton is pretty tough for the UCP. 
rural, anything outside of the Hende is pretty tough for the NDP. Mm-hmm. So if you want to look at ridings where there actually is like a 50-50 or some reasonable percentage of winning for both parties, anything that the NDP, the, sorry, that the Anthony Hende touches. All right. What about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, I mean, suburban Edmonton, so anything outside the Anthony Hende, uh, the surrounding suburbs of Edmonton, uh, I think Lethbridge will be interesting to watch. Uh, and Central Calgary. So I'm talking about Mountain View, Varsity, Buffalo, Curry, and Calgary Klein will be kind yeah. of the battleground writings in Calgary, the Central Calgary core. Agreed. Yeah. Our next question is from Jeff Solomons. He says, Notley is campaigning on no sales tax, but from a policy perspective, even a modest sales tax would really help Alberta's fiscal situation. Is a sales tax the third rail of Alberta politics? And before you answer, uh, Kristen Wayworth, friend of the pod, we've had her on before, says, yes, please talk about the sales tax, both the rationale against it and for it, because it's a great idea. And I legitimately do not understand why people don't agree. Also, yes, I'm strangely passionate about it. So question one, is a sales tax the third rail of Alberta politics, starting with you, Dave? Uh, It would seem to be. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think you said it is in one of the It episodes. is. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a third real issue. Uh, uh, can, can I jump to the second question? Yeah, Kristen uh, thinks it's a big idea, and what's the rationale against it and for it? Well, I mean, people don't want to pay more taxes, and politicians generally, you know, in the, at least traditionally don't want to implement new taxes. I think what's going to change that is, uh, I think one of the big things could be if the price of oil stays low, um, like consistently over the next couple decades and the government of Alberta actually has to like will actually have to take a look at like its revenue stream and if those royalty natural resource royalties aren't going to roll back in then we're going to have to look elsewhere it's just a reality what do you think Ryan what, what's the rationale for and against it I think it's just completely political the idea has just been mm-hmm. poisoned politically here I mean and we've said this before but the fact that the NDP chose not to implement it and won't touch it with a 10-foot pole says a lot about it's um you know popularity among albertans so as we've said before i welcome the ndp and the alberta party to run on a platform of implementing a sales tax but i don't think they will well maybe the alberta party will i i think you'll never see at least perhaps in the next couple of election cycles you'll never see a party run on implementing a sales tax that doesn't mean a party might not implement a sales tax it depends entirely upon the economy and the fiscal situation in the province our next question comes from trevor tomb Uh, He asks, what are the pros and cons of releasing a budget ahead of a campaign? Prentice opted for that. Are there any lessons from that experience that might inform how the government is thinking about its strategy today? Now, we we sort of talked about this earlier. We speculated on whether it would happen. But what are the pros and cons of releasing a budget ahead of a campaign, Dave? Uh, Well, the pros are you get to you, you get the you get the platform, full platform of government and the full mechanisms of government to promote your agenda and promote your promote your budget. That includes all the media attention that includes sending cabinet ministers around the provinces around the province to make make big high profile announcements and and uh, and sell the idea of your budget. And it also allows you to right before an election, contrast yourself with the opposition parties where it. Uh, I guess the cons, uh, if it's a bad budget, like the Prentice budget was politically, and you end up alienating both conservatives and progressives uh, and moderates, then uh, then obviously that's a that's a con because then you go and lose the election. Any anything to add to that, Ryan? Pros and cons. So on, on Twitter, um, I threw the question to Ken Bosencool because he is someone who has advised various platform committees and leaders. He said the tradition in Alberta is for the governing party to do a budget and then call an election. That creates an uneven playing field. He prefers political platforms complete with political platforms. And so this touches on what you said, Dave. You know, the, the government can use the full resources of the government. I know that 
um, opposition platforms are usually written by a small group of staffers without being able to sort of like have the department of finance double check the numbers. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's typically what governments do these election budgets for. Mm -hmm. Right. Thanks for the question, Trevor. Now, Andrew Ewell says the UCP was intended to unite the conservative vote. Is the conservative vote in a better situation in 2019 than in 2015? And and Andrew adds that in 2015, there was a split between the PCs and the Wild Rose. And he's positing that perhaps there may be a split in 2019 between the Alberta Party, who <laughs> up until this point we haven't talked about. I'm trying to maintain a, a face here. <laughs> I, me too. The UCP and the fledgling Freedom Conservative Party. I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here, and I, I don't accept the premise of the question. I think the conservative vote was fine in 2015. <laughs> I also don't accept the premise of the question. Did you guys know that the leading all-time brother combination point scores in the NHL is Wayne Gretzky and his brother? Keith? Yes. What's my point here? Just because you're listing these three parties together, <laughs> it's hardly appropriate to say that we're being split. The FCP and the Alberta Party are not competition for the UCP. Agreed. Agreed. UCP is flirting with 60%. Will will the Alberta Party and the FCP draw votes away from the UCP? Probably. Will it have an impact? Absolutely not. Also, I only learned about Keith Gretzky this past week when Peter Shirelli was let go from the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> He's worked for them for like four years. I didn't know. I didn't even know Gretzky had a brother. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Can you imagine about? being Wayne Gretzky's brother? But no, he's actually, he's been a long-time scout, and he's now the interim GM. Oh, so there you I, go. Cool. I have a lot of angst on Twitter, and it's usually about two topics, politics and the Oilers. So. Well, and we all know what, you know, bringing, you know, people who are connected to the 1980s and 1990s back into the Oilers <laughs> management has done. It's been a stellar choice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> on to our next question that is thankfully not hockey related. This is from Jennifer Kirby. Now, we've already um, talked a little bit about this, but she wants to know when the campaign's going to start why, and why are the NDP short on candidate election selections? She says, I feel like I'm waiting for the start of a race in which I do not know the day or time for the start gun to go off. Well, yes. the, the election has already started. There like you go. really, for all intents and purposes, the campaign has started. Uh, the election yeah. hasn't been called, but we are in we're in election mode. Uh, and I think all the parties at this point are acting like they're in election mode. Why? Why would the NDP be short on candidate candidate selections, Ryan? What so do you think? Uh, we've we have touched on this a few times. I my theory is there just isn't a lot of excitement and interest in running for the NDP. And the evidence I would use for that is that the UCPs have had over fifty eight thousand live human beings turn out for nomination meetings across the province. Well, 58, so something like four million members have voted. Fifty eight thousand actual people <laughs> showing up. <laughs> on snowy roads and cold nights to vote for your local candidate is a lot. And the NDP have had like three contested nominations. Well, and the four upcoming ones that we talked right. about today. <laughs> so yeah, no, it, yeah, those types of indications, like the fancy stats in hockey, do tend to tell a story. Uh, the next question is related. And I, obviously, there's a lot of consternation about the NDP's progress in candidate nominations. But they're at, Jason West wants to know why the NDP doesn't have more candidates nominated and finalized. Ryan makes the point about um, basically they're shoving that cart around in Monty Python and the Holy Grail <laughs> saying, bring out your dead. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's Rachel Notley. Oh, that's mean. Oh, well, I mean, that's mean. the polling, I didn't know nobody trusts polls, but the, the trend of polls is that well, the UCP well, is going it's, it's clear that the UCP, I mean, pretty much from every indicator, the UCP has momentum going, not, going into the next campaign. Not so, only momentum, 
sustained momentum. I sent you guys a text a year this week. I had a Facebook memory of a year ago and some poll came out and the UCP was at like 61%. And that same day, a new poll came out and I agree. Every poll can be disputed. It's a moment in time. But this other updated one was that they still had 60%. So basically that lead has held through a lot of mud being slung and a lot of quote controversies. Now, hey, you're not going to catch me saying that nothing could possibly go wrong here because lots of things could go wrong. Nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Jason, uh, you raise a good point. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the other point, I'd have just a kind of a technical point for the, the NDP nominations. Uh, yeah, they're definitely slower off the mark. Um, they're on a different timetable that they're operating under, but they've also, from what I understand, been doing a lot of vetting ahead of time, uh, which is a time-consuming process, which is something that the UCP didn't do. So it's kind of a different different way of approaching it the ucp kind of threw open the doors and ended up ended up attracting uh um, some bozos um and they live with that or they're living with that and the the ndp on the other hand seem to be doing a lot of their vetting ahead of time so that's that's also part of it but yeah i mean it's it's clear that the the ucp does have uh, i mean there's a little more there's a lot more excitement around their nominations our next question comes from brian christensen Uh, brian asks how should municipalities be reading into the rhetoric around what is expected to be a pretty stark contrast in msi and grant funding between kenny and notley so uh he gives a couple of examples the calgary green line the edmonton valley line lrt is all of this as tied to carbon levy revenue as it seems ryan let's start with you so on the second question no we've talked about this before funding Mm -hmm. is um movable it's changeable you know governments only have one big bucket the NDP is going to try to say, well, if Jason Kenney cuts this over here, it means we're not going to build another school ever. But that's not really how budgets work. You know, I think actually the UCP approach to municipalities is going to be different than the NDP's. But I think that the UCP would be generally more in favor of the smaller communities having being strong mm. and less so the city charter for the two big cities. And clearly the UCP is not going to be the choice of the two mayors. I mean, that's obvious. But I think... You know, the way the federal conservative government that Jason Kenney was part of dealt with infrastructure at the municipality level is they let the cities tell them what their priority is and then they funded it. And I think that's a pretty good model. Yeah, my message is a little more a little more stark. Uh, I think batting down the hatches is probably a, uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to the barricades is the message I'd send to the, the two big city mayors. I think that uh, that there will be a real stark contrast between the way this government approaches municipal funding and, and the next government approaches, if it is a UCP government approaches municipal funding. I mean, all this mess, I mean, it, it's clear the UCP, they talk about cutting taxes and cutting spending at the same time. Uh, I don't think we're going to see the same type of, of uh, infrastructure uh, investment that we've seen under the NDP government happen under the under the UCP government. That said, I mean, they may continue, the you know, the stuff that's already be, being built will probably be continued. But in terms of expanding it beyond that, I, I think that yeah. they'll have a, 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 a less friendly reception from a UCP government. The boogeyman campaign has begun oh, right here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going off of what they've said. I will also point out two-thirds of this province's population lives in the two big cities. Yeah. And again, if you think any politician is going to go to war with two-thirds of the population um, explicitly, now they may find a way to pick on Nancy for sure, um, but... I also don't think Nancy and Iveson have an incentive to antagonize the UCP yet. Like both sides have a lot to lose. Um, and I, I don't think that the UCP is going to be as radical with this stuff as the NDP will say. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think both Nenshi and, 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 uh, and Iveson, I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty, um, savvy politicians. And I think that they'll work with whoever forms government in Edmonton, but, um, 
if it is a, and this is something we haven't seen for a while in a number of election cycles or a number of, of terms in government, if it is a, uh, a government that is dominated by rural MLAs and a cabinet that is dominated by rural MLAs, they might have a, a cooler reception um, when it comes to big funding. I think if you want to summarize it quickly, the UCP government will probably be more inclined to be part to be friendly to the rural municipalities of Alberta, the RMA, not so much the AUMA. You yeah. know, they're not clearly not the party of big cities um, or city charters or giving the two big cities special treatment or new taxation powers. All right. Our next question comes from Lucas Stone. You guys can take this with you can look at this through a political lens or not. This is me commenting. Lucas asks Neapolitan or Butterscotch Ripple? Uh, let's start with you, Ryan. How about maple walnut, like a good Canadian patriot? <laughs> wow. Yeah, have you ever run for politics? <laughs> <laughs> How could I have lost? That was a great <laughs> answer. <laughs> Although, I will also point out, nobody actually checked with Alberta to see if we have maple trees before they picked the maple leaf as our flag, and we do not oh, have maple trees. There they're you in go. BC, and they're in Ontario. See this, Alberta? They've been But we don't have the right us. kind of maple trees. Well, we don't we, have the classic. The classic red leaf, except for if you drive up by Grease Spa or on the U of A campus, they have them, I think. Right. Well, but, of course uh, they do. I, I think I have a Manitoba maple in my front yard, which is basically like a weed because it grows everywhere. <laughs> Did you just refer to the U of A as a bastion of socialism? <laughs> I'll cut that my, out. That my was tongue amazing. was in cheek, and I worked there. I know. I'm just bugging you. Uh, Dave, Neapolitan or Butterscotch Ripple? Oh, I'd have to go with, if, if it's those choices, I'd go Neapolitan, but uh, but uh, I, I, my favorite ice cream is vanilla. Oh my God. I'm so That's disappointed. It's like Jason Kenny here. choosing popcorn as his favorite snack. Right? I love popcorn. Also that. I can't stand popcorn. It gets stuck in my teeth. What's I the matter pop- with you? Awful. It's I the worst. I feel like I don't day. even know you. <laughs> I could eat it every day. I could too. I thought that, let's talk about that video for a moment. I think Jason Kenney needs to do way more of that stuff. Like that video was very endearing and uh, I know that I'm biased. But you're talking about the CBC yeah, popcorn video. The, we'll, we'll put a link to it on the, on the, on the uh, blog. Well, he came across as a normal guy yeah. with like, you know, and he made a joke about how Notley recommends spinach and that's no fun and nanny state spinach or something like that. Or maybe that's what I said. But I thought it was a very humanizing um, glimpse. You know, a lot of people don't interact with politicians ever. They don't actually ever chat with them and realize that they're pretty funny and they're pretty yeah. charming. And like they actually are usually very attractive personalities. So I, I like that video. Yeah, it, uh, it goes to humanizing the candidate. That's for sure. Our next question comes from Kennedy. And Kennedy asks, how much outside influence for this election should Albertans expect? There seems to be some spillover from the federal scene with a former MP and cabinet minister, particularly with social media. How does Elections Alberta track outside money and advertising? So there's two big questions there. One, is there going to be political influence for this election outside of Alberta? We've talked about Trudeau waiting in. Do you guys see it coming from anywhere else? Uh, I mean... I, 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 in terms of a, a pro, how to, I'm trying to figure out what what Kennedy means. Do you mean? I mean, does he mean Russia? Well, well, maybe <laughs> or Tides Foundation or or the Fraser Institute or yeah. I mean, there's you know, I mean, there's the, actors. Yeah, there's going to be. In this. I mean, if you're talking about, I mean, when you talk about Jason Kenney as a former federal MP and a cabinet minister, I mean, the involvement of the federal Conservative Party is def- definitely something that's that's in terms of the organization is definitely something that's worth noting. And we've talked about this on the pod before. Is that I mean, I think uniting the right was just as much about uniting the federal and provincial conservative party in Alberta as it was uniting yeah. the two main and conservative parties. So, I mean, the reverse th- now is very interesting, too. Notley is their only current government. The if NDP. you look at the NDP federally, and mm-hmm. they are at war with the federal leader. Yeah. 
So it's very, they're technically the same party. I mean, we've talked about all these things before, but she, I think Kenny can count on federal support on, in every sense of the word. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think Notley is very much not in that position. Yeah. I bet. I mean, you know, the, the federal NDP aren't really a force to be reckoned with in Alberta anyway. Except so. for Edmonton Strathcona. Except for, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Edmonton Strathcona. Well, we'll see how much, how long that lasts after the next, next federal election. But it, it, he does, Kennedy does bring up a good question is like, like if these organizations are involved or influencing or messaging during the election, how does elections Alberta track that outside money? Can they? Like There's it's kind of pack structure for right, actual yeah. election spending. So political action committee. But what's stopping Tides Canada from giving a bunch of people money to get on a bus and come here and campaign? Very little. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think we'll see, you know, this is this is the job of this is the well the reason why they the NDP created the elections commissioner position is to so there's actually a designated office involved responsible for investigating these types of things. Because before it was it kind of all fell on the chief elections officer and and they didn't I mean they had the power to investigate, but they didn't actually have like a specific office that was dedicated to investigating these things. The power to investigate, but not the time probably. Yeah, right? or the resources, right? Well, and there's a lot at stake for a lot of people across the country. Like we're the third largest economy now. I think we passed BC and GDP, or maybe that was before this current recession. Third or fourth largest mm-hmm. economy. There is obviously narratives at play for the pipeline, the national debate around that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have a lot at stake. You know, if you look at Trudeau, He's looking at the possibility of having a very antagonistic premier here or not. There's a lot at stake for the other premiers. You know, if you're Doug Ford, you're potentially electing your most powerful ally. If you're so the the layers to this are very interesting and it's not a bad thing that the rest of the country is going to be watching. I mean, it's better than them not caring, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say one thing to this point about sort of outside influence. Everyone on Twitter who's talking about Alberta politics, when someone says something to you that annoys you, please look at their username. If there are more than five numbers after a text of their name, they're not worth talking to. Mm -hmm. They're probably a fake account. And look at the amount of followers they have and when they created their account. Don't respond to anyone who hasn't been on Twitter for more than, let's say, four years. Seriously, because it's pointless. Well, it's true. And I think we talked about this before. Like, you guys both have large followings. Um, Dave certainly a lot more than me, but yeah, yeah, we do. Do you, I personally rarely interact with anonymous accounts. Some of them have won me over cause I can tell it's a real person cause mm-hmm. they're pretty consistent, like fake as centrist or whatever that guy's name <laughs> yes. is. But you know, generally as a policy, I don't because I know how easy they are to create. Yeah. If I've never met the person face to face or I don't know them through people, I don't respond to them. I, usually. I very rarely interact with people on on Twitter in terms of, of replying back. I mean, and it's not like a, unless it's like just, a legitimate, unless question. it's a legitimate question yeah. or a legitimate person. Um, yeah. cause, there's, cause, there's, cause there's no point. There's really no point in getting in an yeah. argument or engagement with someone who's anonymous, like really. And some people engage with us because of the podcast and yeah. that's cool. And well, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I think we try to honor genuine engagement, but there's no point feeding anonymous accounts because, and this is why I actually had a little bit of a meltdown yesterday because the idea that politicians are held to account by people who claim to support them on social media is really unfair. Yeah. Like I know for a fact that the old Wild Rose Facebook page had a lot of filters on the comments in Facebook um, because people say the most awful things, things that you can't even like fathom until they say it and then you add it to the filter. And that's not a partisan issue. They all have that. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, whether you're the Edmonton Journal or whether you're the UCP, like you've got to watch out for people saying things in social media and govern it to the extent you can or, you know, guard against it, but holding them to account. Like I could create an account right now and claim to support Rachel Notley and say awful things. Yeah. Is that really her fault? 
No, 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 I agree. Totally. Our last question comes from Cameron Stobe. I uh, hope I pronounced that correctly, Cameron. Um, it's a long one, so just bear with me here. In light of Bernier and Fildebrandt creating their own parties, I would like to hear you comment on the various federal and provincial politicians, particularly those who have run for party leader and lost, who have been upset with their own party and stomped off to another party, and whether their political gamble has paid off. Was it sour grapes or were their motives altruistic? Did it work out for them or did they fall on their face? And a couple of examples that Cameron gives were um, Linda Stronach, Scott Bryson, Scott Bryson, Scott Bryson, Bryson, Sandra Jansen and Danielle Smith. Um, What do you guys think? People rage quitting their parties and starting new ones. Where does that come from, Ryan? This is one of my biggest pet peeves. So is it really? Okay. I have been annoyed with, I mean, go back 20 years. It was Preston Manning. There's this happen. Actually, Preston Manning did it twice in two directions, you could say. But this idea of taking your ball and going home if you don't win the whole thing. I just think, you know, ideology aside, just as a tactic of accomplishing some things, that half a loaf is better than no loaf, and we do more together. So these people who quit and go to the other side, this list and others, I can't think of it ever working. Like, I'm not sure if I could think... Maybe maybe Winston Churchill. What did he say? The quote about it takes talent to re-rat. But like, yeah, anybody can rat, but it takes talent to re-rat. I never see it working. <laughs> and the thing about politics is it's hard and sometimes you lose, but you look at the people around you and they're going to be your ideological brothers and sisters. This sounds like I'm you talking, Dave. <laughs> for, for 40 years. You're going to be in solidarity with them yeah, for a number so, of years. Yeah, you know, like parties come and go and movements and platforms and leaders, but... The people that you get into politics with do become lifelong friends and allies and you work together. And this is both sides. So people who quit because they didn't win a particular skirmish are forgetting about the war. And I don't even really like the war imagery for politics, Mm -hmm. but like in the sense of, okay, so you're mad at this leader because you lost or he wasn't your leader or she wasn't your leader. So you're going to pout and quit. I don't think it has ever really worked. I mean, I, 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 I mean, there's the politics of it, and then there's the floor crossing part of it. And I think I think floor crossing is is a fine tradition part of our parliamentary system. I, I do too. Um, yeah, so I don't want to. Yeah, so I don't have a problem with floor crossing. I mean, in in terms of has it worked? I mean, I looked up a couple examples of of politicians who've left a political party, and it's not all. It's it's harder to find examples of at least in Alberta of politicians who ran for one party leadership and then left and ran for another and won, won another party leadership or, or left because they lost the party leadership. I mean, the one that immediately, the one that I immediately thought of was Nancy Bukowski, later known as Nancy McBath, who lost the progressive conservative party leadership to Ralph Klein yeah. in 1992, didn't run again in the 1993 election, and then ran for the liberal party leadership in 1998, won the liberal leadership in 98, and then led the liberals into the 2001 election, which was a devastating election for, for the provincial liberals in Alberta. Um, that was kind of the, in terms of the Alberta context, that was kind of the biggest one that I, I, I could find. I mean, there's lots of examples of MLAs crossing the floor. I mean, the Wild Rose MLAs across the floor, all 14 of them or however yeah, many, yeah. however many was. Sandra Jansen is one that, that we heard, uh, that we talked about recently. Was did, a question. Well, for and, those ones? And for those ones, it did Universally didn't. wiped but, but sometimes it does work out. Jeans was Desky. Yeah. Uh, former progressive Brian conservative, oh, yeah. former liberal MLA who'd recently passed away. He was elected twice as a liberal, and then I think he served five terms as a progressive conservative in Edmonton. The in a, in former, a, why can't I think of his name? The former MP for Edmonton Strathcona and Edmonton South. David Kilgore. David Kilgore yeah. is a good example. So I think what you're saying, yeah. or what I'm saying, is it depends on what makes you cr- cross. That yeah. if it's a matter of principle, 
or a matter that's at least popular in your community, it's different. Yeah. If it's just purely for personal reasons, for reasons that ha- happen under the dome, then no, it's not altruistic and it, it probably won't work out. And yeah. it feels it feels like that's the case of uh, of Maxime Bernier and Derek Felderbrandt. It's 100%. it's akin to, you know, your your business going bankrupt and then the next day you slaps a new paint of coat and a different name on it. That's what bothers me about what Bernier and Felderbrandt are doing. Totally, because they, I mean, Bernier, Bernie actually has said that he thinks the leadership result was unfair and mm. he should have won. And it was a very close result. It was like the 15th close. ballot or something. Sure. It was like a yeah. half a percentage or less. And there's another former provincial conservative leader right now um, making noise. And it feels so personal. And We're talking so about Brian, Brian Jean, right? Who's, mm. who's now an internet activist? Or is that what he's going by? Or? Yeah. And it's just, you know, he could have played a major role. He, he could have had virtually any cabinet or shadow cabinet role he wanted, probably any, if they win, any real cabinet role, and he could have positioned himself to be the next leader. And, like, I've lost a couple times. I know it's brutal, and I actually felt like one of my losses was there was a lot of stuff that aren't totally fair either. But, like, it's not a good look. Mm. Um, I don't think people are drawn to bitter people. And, when you, I mean, Phil DeBrand and Bernier have also taken this... <laughs> personal bitterness and gone so far off the deep end with it. They had a rally yesterday, actually, uh, in Calgary, the Independence Rally or right. something like I that. I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> that one's just out there. But So, you know, it's a good question, Cameron, but I think that history shows you accomplish more when you're willing to take a half a loaf um, for either. You know, this isn't an ideological thing. Whatever your ideology is and work together. And this is why the Marxist-Leninist and the communists will never get together or never accomplish anything because they won't come together. <laughs> well, and, and, and I think in terms of, uh, just to, to touch another part of your question, in terms of when you look at politicians who've left their parties to go form other parties in Alberta, um, it hasn't been entirely successful. I, I looked, at, looked for a couple examples. Um, Tom uh, Sidlinger, who was a former progressive conservative MLA for Calgary Buffalo in the, in the 70s and 80s, Left the PCs, started the Alberta the, the first Alberta reform movement, and he ran in the eighty two election and lost. I don't think they elected any. They didn't elect any any, any MLAs. Um, you know, we had a number. Of, there were there were two former social credit MLAs that went to form the representative party of Alberta, but they ended up just getting reelected on their own personal popularity, and that party didn't end up going anywhere. But the most interesting one that I found, and I knew I'd read about this years ago, but but uh, uh, I discovered it again yesterday when I was doing some research on this question, was Hazen Argue. And I'm, I'm trying, I think I pronounced his pronounce that right. He was an MP from, I think he was from Winnipeg. Uh, but he was, or no, he's refused from Saskatchewan, sorry. Uh, he was the former leader of the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. And then he ran for the NDP leadership against Tommy Douglas and lost. So then he crossed and joined the Liberals. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, that's that's out of out of the uh, the treasure trove history box. There's your <laughs> there's your tidbit. Thanks for your questions, everyone. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks again to our producer Adam Rosenhart for helping us put the show together, and a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. Send us your feedback or ask any questions you have to for our next episode. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at @DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>